Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. And by ICOM. Heard it? Worked it? Logged it. Visit www.icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information about ICOM radios. It's Ham Radio. Good evening, everyone. It's time for Ham Talk Live. It's episode number 143. Ham sat through the years, recorded live on Thursday, December 6th, 2018. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight, we're joined by Keith Baker, KB1SF, and uh, we'll take your calls live in just a few minutes. Last week on the show, Pete Thompson, KE5GGY, was here to talk about the Santa Net over on 3916. Hope you've been enjoying that. And if not, stop by. And uh, if you missed that show, you can listen anytime at hamtalklive.com or on your favorite podcast app, or we're also on our YouTube channel as well. And, um, the Ham Talk Live limited edition May the Grid Square Be Yours shirts uh, have, have gone over pretty well. We've uh, mailed out all the pre-ordered shirts and uh, did get a few extras, and we've sold a few of those as well that uh, are going to be going out in the mail here in the next few days. But uh, there are a few remaining uh, from sizes small to 2X. So if you want one of those, you can go to our uh, Google Forms um, and fill that out. There's a link on Facebook and Twitter if you look at the first post on there. Or you can go to hamtalklive.com, and then there's a link there for the show schedule. And the link is on that page. So uh, take a look at that, and uh, the instructions are there on how to order that. And you can PayPal uh, the cost to me. The instructions are there for that as well. And uh, thanks to Tanner Jones, W9TWJ, um, one lucky caller will receive a free shirt tonight and also we, we the icq podcast crew um heard about this and they've decided to give away one as well so we'll be giving away two of those shirts tonight so thanks also to the icq podcast crew for donating a shirt we'll talk more about that during the call-in time so get your questions ready to go after the interview, you can give us a call, and I'll give you the phone number now. It's 812-NET-HAM, 
ham one eight one two six three eight four two six one and um, it's not time to call just yet but you can have that number handy i'll give it to you again here in a second uh have the number ready and um call in and you'll win a shirt and uh have a chance to talk with Keith tonight again. The number 812-NET-HAM-1, 812-638-4261. You can also tweet us if you'd rather not call in. You can tweet us. Our Twitter handle is at HamTalkLive. So I'll be back with Keith right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm having an antenna party and I ran out of PL259s. Oh, come in. Thank you. Would silver-plated PL259s from Tower Electronics be too good for your guests? Those will be fine. Thank you. You saved my life the other night. Oh, the PL259s from Tower Electronics? Yes, they were very successful at the antenna party. My antenna works like a charm. Then how can you ever thank me? I'll try to think of something. Don't be caught without PL259s. Visit Tower Electronics at a ham fest near you. Or visit them online anytime at pl-259.com. Or call 920-435-2973. They have adapters, cables, antennas, soldering supplies, and meters too. The early bird may get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. Thanks to Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show once again tonight. They help bring you Ham Talk Live each and every week. They're finishing up their Ham Fest schedule for this year. They're in Plant City near Tampa, Florida this weekend. That's uh, tomorrow and Saturday. And uh, they'll be taking some time off and then start back on January 5th at Waukesha, Wisconsin. But you can visit them anytime you want at pl-259.com. Keith Baker, KB1SF, grew up in New Hampshire and attended the University of New Hampshire at Durham. And after graduation, he was commissioned a second lieutenant in the United States Air Force via the Reserve Officers Training Corps, ROTC. Um, he spent the next 20 years as an Air Force officer, primarily in the comptroller field, and over half his Air Force career was spent at Aeronautical Systems Division at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Ohio, which many hams will recognize that. That's in the Dayton area, and uh, a lot of people go by there and, and tour the museum there um, during hamvention. Well, soon after his retirement from the Air Force, he founded KCB Associates, a highly diversified personal counseling, business consulting, and corporate training company. And for nearly 25 years, he and his staff professionally trained consultants and has provided helpful help in the form of targeted training courses and hands-on consulting to a lot of small and medium-sized businesses throughout the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. He's now fully retired, with the exception of a couple of volunteer positions. Um, one thing I found interesting was he's an occasional balloon artist. 
Uh, he fills in uh, for some balloon artistry. And uh, in the 90s, he served as a member of the AMSAT Board of Directors and later served as the executive vice president for several years and then was AMSAT's president. And in January 2010, he was once again asked to help out with AMSAT as the treasurer. And that's his other volunteer position that uh, you, you never can get away from. So, <laughs> Keith, welcome to Ham Talk Live. Ah, pleasure to be here, Neil. Absolutely. President, pleasure to be here. You know, we, we started talking before the show and, and, uh, and, and we ran out of time for our personal conversation here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But we actually met at Hamvention in 1977. When you were uh, at being touted at that point as the world's youngest ham. I think you said you were nine or seven years old or yeah. something of that. Yeah, I would have been. Yeah. I would have been six at that point. Six yeah. or seven. Six. Yeah, yeah I, I do. Re- I, I vividly remember uh, shaking your hand at that point. Wow, what a and, what and a then we just right? and then we just figured out that in I think it was 2013 we were on the QSO radio show right after each other, and then we were sitting right next to each other and didn't even know it. That's it. <laughs> Yeah. In that wild. And, they, you know, that's that's the wonder. One of the wonderful things about this ham radio uh, activity is that you never know who's going to be on the other end of a conversation, whether it's on the air or doing what we're doing or uh, at a ham fest or a hamvention or one of those type of meetings. It's just so interesting to run into the people that you run into who also share this fantastic hobby we call ham radio. Well, it's uh, it's been nice to uh, catch up on things with you here. And uh, we want to talk a little bit about the history of AMSAT tonight. And, and we may get into some, some current things since there's uh, some, some hot news here lately. But uh, you were involved uh, in AMSAT back in the 90s and familiar with the history of, of starting AMSAT. So uh, tell us a little bit about the challenges that AMSAT had getting started and and getting the first satellites launched into orbit. Well, the AMSAT, uh, which, by the way, stands for Radio Amateur Satellite Corporation, we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We have one full-time paid employee, and that's Martha, our office manager up in the D.C. area. But all the rest of us, from the president, the vice president, the treasurer, all the way down to the folks that are actually putting their, their, these satellites together, uh, we're all volunteers. And that's a, an, an interesting story in and of itself. AMSAT was the follow-on organization to an organization which started on the West Coast called Project OSCAR, uh, which stands for Orbital Satellite Carrying Amateur Radio. And uh, that came about as a result of uh, a gentleman who was writing for CQ at the, at the time. And uh, they were just starting to test out some distance records or some distance activity on what was then, well, what is now two meters uh, to see how far they could make two meters operate. Now, this is back in the in the early 60s, late 50s. Uh, 
uh, when there wasn't, you know, transistors were basically in their infancy at that point. But anyway, this gentleman wrote a, a column. Uh, I believe it was Don Stone. I'm not sure exactly who it was. But anyway, he wrote a column and said, you know, we can communicate on two meters over about 100 miles. Uh, I wonder if we could do the same thing going straight up. You know, does anyone have a spare rocket for orbital purposes? <laughs> well, and that was exactly what he wrote. Well, it was a, a couple of folks out at, well, a couple. There was a group of people on the West Coast that were at that time involved in a very top-secret project called Corona, uh, which was essentially the very first spy satellites that we were launching at the time under the cover of a scientific program called Discoverer. But anyway, one of the folks who was working on these, or a couple of the folks that were working on these things, said, yeah, we're, we're getting ready to launch a whole bunch of satellites into orbit to go spy on what was at that time the Soviet Union. And, yeah, there's some extra space in one of these upper stages that had all the cameras on it. Uh, why don't we see if we could build a satellite that would go in there? Well, it, you know, there was all kinds of conversations and all kinds of issues going on. And uh, eventually, yes, we were we ham radio operators were granted permission by the Air Force. And you also have to remember that at that time, the only game in town was the Air Force. They were the only one. Well, it was the, the Air Force, the, the military. There was no commercial. There was no NASA at that point that was launching rockets at that point. So the the upstart was. And you stop and think about it. What a fantastic cover for a top secret project and to stick an amateur radio satellite <laughs> on one of these upper stages. And that's precisely what happened. And Oscar one was launched. Uh, I believe it was on the 12th or 13th launch of the what at that time was Project Corona, but it was Discover or something. Uh, in 1961, now this was only four years after the Russians had orbited Sputnik. So amateur radio has been in space uh, since basically the toddler stage of, of space exploration. And Oscar 1 was a battery-operated satellite. It ejected from the upper stage. And that's another thing. Um, we amateur radio operators were the primary uh, operators of a secondary satellite. Ours, that Oscar One satellite, was the very first satellite to be carried as a secondary payload on any rocket up to that point. And we also used a very sophisticated, thermally balanced spring mechanism that consisted of a dollar and nineteen cent spring out of Sears and Roebuck. And so that sort of set the pace at that time. Now, Oscar one, it had no solar panels, did not have a transponder. It was basically just a beacon. But it launched, it did work, and people heard it all around the world. And of course, yeah. that same same type of uh, build it in your garage and basement uh, it lives on because that's exactly where even today our CubeSats, our little satellites that we've launched, and we just launched one earlier this week that uh, made it to orbit. We can talk about that later on if you wish. But uh, you might say we're the Jobs and Wozniaks of the satellite business because 
we really, we AMSAT, which was the follow-on to this organization called Project Oscar, um, we build and launch our satellites using predominantly leftover parts and donated labor, uh, which presents a problem from a financial standpoint because, you know, we're essentially relying on donations from members and other ham radio operators to do what we do. And even though we've had, of late, had some what you would call free launches given to us by NASA, uh, we still have to build the satellites and we still have to test them. And those that can become very costly, particularly when you're buying solar panels and you're doing some of the, the testing that we have to do to certify to the main carrier that we're not going to make a mess of their multi-gazillion dollar satellite. <laughs> well, I'm so, sitting here uh, wa- looking at a picture of – Oscar, one of the Oscar ones, uh, the, the card mm-hmm. next to it says that there were three of those that were built. Yes, that's and, right. And uh, yep. the one that I'm looking at is in the hallway at ARL headquarters. And, and when I walked into ARL headquarters to go to Teachers Institute, um, that was one of the first things that caught my eye. And I had to go look at it that. Wow, here's here's one of those Oscar ones, and and yeah. um, you know it's in the display case there, and uh, it was well, just that, so fabulous to to actually get to see one of those. That's that has its own story because that was a that was the backup to Oscar one that was donated to the league. It was used as a prop very soon after Oscar one was launched. And they were used it as an educational prop. It went around the country uh, touring with with some hams, and they were talking about, you know, here's the first amateur radio satellite. Uh, along about five or six years ago, uh, one of the engineers at, at the league decided to try and make that thing work. Um, and so he reversed engineered it to try and get the, the beacon to operate on its frequencies. But he didn't have a schematic. So, so uh, fast forward a little bit of time, uh, we had one of our AMSAT symposia out in California uh, in the Bay Area, which is where all of these engineers from Lockheed had first done the work on this Oscar one. And uh, so this the fellow was the, – the lab engineer was, <laughs> was saying – lamenting that he didn't have a schematic to really set this thing up the way it was originally done until the gentleman that you see in the picture of probably is uh, Lance Gitter comes walking in. He was the original builder of Oscar one and he handed (laughs) a copy (laughs) of the schematic to this, to, uh, to the engineer. So yeah, it, again, you know, this is the nature of what we do in terms of, of, uh, building the and launching these satellites is that uh, it's it's pretty heavy heavy stuff heady stuff i guess would be the yeah. way to put it but that's a little bit of the history and that's going all the way back well of course now we're up to uh well we just hung the the amsat designator on the one that we launched earlier this week we're up to ao 92 so that 95. means there's 90 or excuse me 95 there's 95, 95 
95 satellites uh, that AMSAT and our uh, sister organizations around the world have launched. And this doesn't count what uh, the Russians have launched and what our friends in China have launched. Uh, so it's prolific. And we've kind of gone from famine to feast here. Uh, we've got amateurs, probably something on the order of 25 or 30 of these satellites that are active right now uh, in all kinds of modes, whether it's uh, straight FM uh, repeater type mode, which is one of the sat- one of the things that that the satellite we just launched will do. Uh, but there's also what we call analog satellites, which you can send CW and Morse code through. We have a lot of digital satellites uh, floating around with store and forward packet satellites, and it just goes on and on. Beacon satellites goes on and on and on. So, well, so we've gone. Yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, that's that's <laughs> that's going all the way back, Neil. Yeah. Well, let's forward a little bit to uh, AO7 because there's some a cool story here with AO7. Uh, one of those very early satellites, and I remember seeing it on the, the front page of QST on the cover uh, when I was growing up, and now it's come back to life. In fact, some of the, the Wimploda guys called it the, the zombie satellite because <laughs> it, it's yeah. come back to life so tell us a little bit about ao7 ao7 was launched in 1974 um and this was in the era when we were we amsat were getting nasa launches uh and that's because amsat became the east coast version of the west coast project oscar group and a lot of the folks that founded and were working in the early stay, early days of AMSAT were NASA engineers, worked at uh, Goddard Space Flight Center or worked in the headquarters in Washington. And they ended up having to or got a hold of some launches uh, with NASA as, again, secondary payloads. The other thing, as I said before, is that AMSAT has traditionally relied on leftover parts and donated resources and donated labor. And so some of the solar panels that went into Oscar 7 were cast-offs or flight spares from another NASA satellite, I believe. But anyway, they were very powerful uh, for the day. They were very powerful solar panels. So they assembled the satellite. It was a 2-meter uh, a to 10-meter uh, and 2-meter to uh, – 70 centimeter to two meter <coughs> transmitter uh, transponder and uh, batteries and so forth. They launched, it went up in 74, it lasted until about 1981 when it went silent. The, uh, the batteries shorted and that was the end of that. Well, a gentleman in England was tuning around looking, as he said, for interlopers on the satellite bands, and that's another thing, is we do have portions of our frequencies set aside for satellite communications uh, on two meters and 70 centimeters and on up the line. Anyway, he was tuning across the two-meter downlink uh, channel, and he hears a beacon. Well, our beacons are at that time were Morse code beacons. So he's hearing this Morse code coming across uh, in the satellite band, and he's also hearing the Doppler shift, and that's what another characteristic of satellite operation is that very much like the the train whistle exercise where you 
hear the train coming towards you, the pitch is higher as it goes by, uh, the horn drops in pitch. Well, the same thing happens with satellite communications and satellite frequencies. Anyway, he's hearing this Doppler shift and this Morse code, and he's saying, hmm, that sounds like a satellite, but which one is it? Well, it turned out it was Oscar 7. Now, this is 1996, and sure enough, it was Oscar 7, and what had happened is that because those solar panels were so efficient, they had the ability to overcharge the batteries. But now that one of the batteries shorted in the open position, it meant that whenever the sun was shining on the solar panels, the transponder pops on. And that's what happened. So Oscar 7 now is semi-operational, I guess would be the way to put it. When it's in sunlight, its transponder pops in. Sometimes it comes up on one transponder, the 2 to 10 meter transponder, and the other time it comes up on the 440 to 2 meter transponder. And as long as it's in satellite, uh, long as it's in sunlight, it works. We kind of call it the Timex watch. And those folks may remember the one of the advertisings many years ago was the old Timex watch takes a licking and keeps on keeps ticking. On ticking. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really what Oscar 7. Now here's another little unknown fact. Not only did we car- did we amateurs produce the first satellite to be carried as a secondary payload. But Oscar 7 right now has the record for being the longest living, working satellite that's still in orbit of any satellite ever launched then or since. Now, I'm not talking just amateur satellites. I'm talking about any satellite that's ever been launched. Oscar 7 holds the record for for being (laughs) having having the longest living satellite. Now, this is, again, something that was built in our one of our people's basements and garages. Uh, so, like I said, that's I said. You know, we're the Wozniaks and the the Apple uh, founders, uh, <laughs> Apple-like founders, I guess would be the way to put it for amateur radio. But that's the story, and it's a it's an interesting story uh, oh, yeah. of what story. we hams can do. That's a great story. Well, we're up for a break, but first. Um, you're the treasurer, so I have to, to throw in the fundraising plug here. Uh, you bet. This is this is not a cheap thing to do, and no. so how do you how do you get the money to pull this off? Well, we we're, it's donations. Um, membership, of course, in AMSAT is one way to support us, and uh, we have uh, several different ways that you can become a member uh, of AMSAT. We'll talk about. Our website, maybe a little later on in the program, it's www.amsat.org. Uh, but most most of our funding comes directly from amateur radio operators and other donors who are interested in what we're doing. And we're not even talking, we haven't even talked about the work that we do with ARIS, which is the Amateur Radio and the International Space Station. And that takes a chunk of money as well because of all the interfacing we have to do with NASA and all the testing we have to do with NASA to get the equipment uh, tested and approved to fly on the International Space Station. So even though we're in some cases we're getting donated launches from NASA under a program called ILANA, Educational Launch of Nanosatellites, it still costs us hundreds of thousands of dollars 
to build and test uh, our satellites. And that's not counting the labor. That's just the out-of-pocket costs for testing, transportation, uh, and parts to put them together. So, yeah, uh, we do have a funding campaign going on right now uh, with the launch of now AO80, or excuse me, 95, uh, which you can partake of by going up on our website. We're offering at the moment uh, a copy, a digital copy of our Getting Started with Amateur Radio Satellites uh, with any uh, new or renewing membership. So uh, that's kind of, it's an an excellent book written by uh, several of our people who are hand-schooled on operating amateur radio satellites. So if you're interested in getting started, uh, that's a good way to do it. All right. Well, we do need to take a break here, but we're going to come back. We'll talk a little bit uh, more about some of this stuff, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll sneak in a little update here on the latest on uh, Fox One Cliff or, or actually AO95. I was talking to Drew while ago, and it's like, yeah, I keep flipping back and forth too, but AO95 now we have to call it. And uh, we'll talk about that uh, when we come back, and we're going to take your calls and give away some shirts. So we'll do that and uh, be back with Keith right after this word from ICOM America right here on Ham Talk Live. For the love of the holidays, surprise your favorite ham this season with the gift that's on their hot list. The holidays are just around the corner and ICOM has plenty of cheer for everyone. The IC7610, the SDR every ham wants, and just in time for the holidays. This high-performance SDR has the ability to pick out the faintest of signals, even in the presence of stronger adjacent ones. The ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling software-defined radio that will change the world's definition of an SDR transceiver. It has RF direct sampling, 110 dB RMDR, and dual digicel. The IC7300 is changing the way entry-level HF is designed. This high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design will far exceed your expectations. It includes RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, a large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. The ICR30 is raising the bar on DC to daylight receivers. Powerful yet easy to use, the ICR30 is packed full of features you have come to expect from ICOM. The perfect stocking stuffer, the ID51A Plus 2, provides new modes for extended D-Star coverage. Enjoy integrated GPS, independent AM-FM receiver, and free Android apps. For all of these products and more ICOM radios, visit icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information. Join the conversation. Give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. All I want for Christmas is to listen to another episode of Ham Talk Live. Thanks to ICOM America for bringing Ham Talk Live your way. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to check us out there. And 
We're here on the air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here at hamtalklive.com. Well, it's time for your calls now. If you have a question for Keith, give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Or you can tweet us at HamTalkLive. And as advertised tonight, you'll also win a limited edition Ham Talk Live Grid Square shirt just by calling in. In the spirit of Christmas camaraderie between amateur radio podcasts, the ICQ podcast is happy to sponsor one Ham Talk Live t-shirt for tonight's first audio caller to Ham Talk Live and wish all the Ham Talk Live listeners a peaceful and calm Christmas holiday season. And Tanner Jones, W9TWJ, also donated a shirt to give away uh, along with the ICQ crew. So we're going to give away two of those to audio callers tonight. So give us a call at 812-638-4261. 812-638-4261 to ask your AMSAT questions and comments about things going on with the satellites. So, um, <clears throat> Keith, we were, we were kind of teasing here that we might, uh, give a little update on AO95. So what's, uh, what's the latest on it? Well, as, as far as we know, it's progressing. Uh, the, the orbital checkout is progressing very, very nicely. Um, one of the, well, we were, one of 64, I believe, uh, satellites that were launched off of the single SpaceX uh, Falcon 9 rocket out of uh, Vandenberg, uh, California. And it took quite a while once the upper stage reached uh, its intended orbit. It took quite a while to unload all those 64 satellites. I'm not exactly sure where we were in the stack, but uh, the other part of the problem was is that when we are ejected from the launcher uh, by decree, uh, it, it trips a timer that's on the satellite uh, because you don't you can't launch the satellites in a on position uh, because there's a concern that you would interfere with other payloads or the main payload. So there's a timer that's built into our little cubesats and. Um, they essentially, what that happens is as soon as it comes out of the, the little launcher box, which is very much like a jack-in-the-box. I don't know if you remember the little jack-in-the-box that we all had as kids. Some of us had as kids where oh, you yeah. turn the crank and then the little little pop comes up and the little guy comes out. Well, it's the same idea. There's these boxes that they launch are, are these little CubeSats in, which – and that, that brings up another story. But uh, – it's very much like a, a jack-in-the-box. There's a big spring. You push the satellite down inside this box, and then you close the trap door, and then at the appropriate time, the trap door pops open, and out pop the satellites. And as soon as that happens, there's a timer that kicks in for about 45 minutes to get you away from all of the other satellites that are being dropped off in the same orbit. And at that time, it, it trips a little... Um, piece of monofilament line with a resistor that burns the monofilament line and it unfurls the up the two antennas that are on the satellite and at that same time it pops on with a beacon that says uh this is uh, fox one cliff in safe mode well all of that happened uh down over the uh, the ocean the southern pacific ocean 
where there's no hams. So it took us a long time for that first uh, word that we even had an operating satellite. And I believe the first person, the first group group that heard it was right on the eastern tip of South America. And another one of our uh, engineers uh, was uh, was the first to actually get telemetry, but so we knew that it was was working. So as far as we know, I was talking on our our AMSAT meeting <clears throat> the other night. Jerry Buxton, our VP of engineering, says all is well. They're progressing through their checkout, uh, extensive checkout to make sure everything is working properly. But uh, so far, it seems to be doing just fine. So. Uh, and that's the other thing is that once the satellite achieves orbit and the builders ask for an Oscar number to be assigned, uh, once it achieves orbit and turns on, it's eligible for an Oscar number. And uh, that person who's doing that assigning is is Drew, uh, or uh, KO4MA, <coughs> Drew Glassbitter, who you've had on your program. Uh, anyway, Drew is our keeper of Oscar numbers and he uh, dubbed uh, Fox One Cliff, which was named for one of our larger benefactors who passed away, Cliff uh, Butchart. But anyway, Fox One Cliff is now AO95. So uh, doing well, as far as we know. It's going to probably take another two or three weeks before it's completely checked out. And uh, at that point, it'll be announced that it's open for amateur radio conversations. So. And if you want the story behind the voice on the, the recording, <laughs> yes. tune in to Amateur Radio Newsline. I just finished up Amateur Radio Newsline before Ham Talk Live, and uh, we've got a little story on AO95 in there, and that uh, comes out uh, in the morning. So uh, check out uh, arnewsline.org. Uh, for a little bit more uh, on AMSAT and this new uh, newest satellite, Fox One Cliff, now noted as AO ninety five. So I won't. I won't give cool it away. Stuff. Yeah, I yeah. won't give it away. Yeah, don't give it away. But it's it's an interesting <laughs> story uh, of how that was done and why it was done the way it was done. So your audience is going to have to tune in to, to find out, as, as old Paul Harvey used to say, the rest, the rest of the story. Of the story. Yep, that's it. Well, 812-638-4261 is the phone number to call, and we're giving away T-shirts tonight, too, to callers. So give us a call, 812-638-4261. We've got uh, Jerry, KB1SF, on the line for a little bit longer tonight. So give us a Give us a call, and I know there was something else you said we, we might get to later, and I and it and it's escaped <laughs> my mind what it was. Yeah, I I forgot too. Uh, I don't for, I don't forget the things I remember, Neil. But you know, we're getting to the point where things are just gone. If I don't write it down, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we'll 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 think of it. We'll here, we'll but, think about it. Yeah. Uh, some of the. Um, you know ways that people can help we've talked about the the fundraising and, and donating and and of course eris has the uh, the whole other you know fundraising going for the power supply going up and and uh, getting that all certified and everything and up there but how are some other ways that you can help out with amsat um, about volunteering to to do certain yes. things 
Uh, we're always looking for for help. Um, <clears throat> as I said, we're a totally, with one exception, volunteer organization. And uh, you know, if you ever wanted to get into an organization and and help out to do something that's actually very much on the cutting edge of what we do as ham radio operators, and that that brings up another story too, is that. A lot of times when – even though you may not be interested in satellites per se for your own operation, a lot of times when it comes time for international bodies to allocate frequencies uh, that we all sometimes take for granted uh, as part of our amateur radio heritage, uh, there's a lot of pressure right now for frequency spectrum, particularly in the VHF and UHF and, and SHF uh, realms from all of the proliferation of cell phones and all the rest of this stuff. But one of the things that's always held up at these international meetings when it comes time to justify our, our continued access to amateur radio frequencies is the satellite program because we can point to all kinds of things that we take for granted today were a direct result of uh, – of the work that's been done by our experimenters in AMSAT and Project Oscar before us. Uh, transponders on a satellite, uh, you know, you're, even these television satellites that are out at the geosynchronous that we watch on our TVs on, I mean, all of that uh, had its roots uh, in amateur radio and in particular in amateur radio satellites. So uh, there's a, a big uh, heritage. We were the first to fly CMOS um, CMOS transistors and and that sort of thing into space. Uh, so you can go on and on and on carrying the secondary payloads, which are taken for granted. The other thing is that this whole CubeSat, uh, and that may have been what we were, what I had was going to talk about. But oh I yeah, forgot. it was, it was actually <laughs> um, the gentleman. Uh, who invented that CubeSat standard. One of the problems that we were having for many, many years was there was no standard for a, the size of a satellite. And up until the early 2000s, uh, when we were building our amateur radio satellites, the form of the satellite was based on what rocket it would fly on. You know how we would tuck underneath into a into a space on a secondary payload uh, launching platform, for example. But uh, this gentleman, Bob Twiggs, is the gentleman's name. He got together with another gentleman out at Stanford University. Uh, he was working there as in their space department. Uh, Bob's uh, a ham radio operator. Bob is also or was a, an AMSAT member. But you know, he said, you know, this is kind of silly because <clears throat> why don't we standardize the size of these satellites so that they will fit on a variety of different launchers and can go on a variety of different launches. Well, <laughs> fast forward, and now this CubeSat standard, which is about uh, three and a half inches on a side. It looks, it's about the size of a liter of water, if you would, because it's exactly a liter volume. Uh, these things are prolific, and Everybody's getting into the act now, whether it's a university or whether it's uh, the government is actually flying these things now. Uh, we're talking about stacking two or three of them together and sending them out to the moon or, and beyond. And again, this all started in the uh, 
in the brain of Bob Twiggs because Bob had been doing some work uh, earlier on uh, some of the satellites. He he and his team at Weber State University in Utah uh, were working with a satellite called the WeberSat that was launched back in the early 90s and was a small satellite for its time. It was nine inches on a side. But since we've come the next step with cell phone technology and all of these little teeny parts, uh, a CubeSat now can do essentially what a microsat did back in the 90s in terms of its power and its ability to uh, to listen to and to transmit. So, um, yeah, uh, there's another example of where AMSAT and amateur radio have really contributed to the radio art by inventing uh, this standard. So, cool amazing. stuff. Just and amazing. I remember cool stuff. Uh, sitting next to you there uh, on, on Ted, waiting to come on Ted Randall's show with one of those prototypes of a CubeSat. And I was just amazed. You know, I could pick it up with my <laughs> yeah. hand. I mean, it just, yeah. tiny. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just amazing. See, that's 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 the thing too is that uh, the less mass you have, uh, the easier it is to find a launch. And if you have to pay for it, you're not sending up empty space and lots of mass. It's it's fairly light in that sense, which translates into less money that you have to pay if you're going to launch it. So this is why. The CubeSats have been so prolific is that universities and private organizations that want to do research in space, and that's that's how we've hooked our rides uh, into orbit is through this uh, CubeSat initiative that NASA has, has offered. Uh, essentially, if you look at the inside of those little CubeSats, they're built in a stack arrangement. Uh, one board is the transmitter. The one above it would be the receiver. The one above it would be the internal housekeeping unit, which is the brains, the computer. And then you've got the little batteries. And by the way, good old NICADs are what we use for batteries because that seems to be the ones that tolerate the environment of space much better than anything else. So we we fly regular old NICADs. And then above that, there's a couple of boards which we call TSFR, this space for rent. And that's where we will tuck in our university experiments. Uh, for example, Vanderbilt University in Nashville, uh, we're carrying a couple of their satellite, or a couple of their experiments. They're they're measuring the radiation resistance to off-the-shelf uh, electronic components. Uh, that's their experiment. Uh, we've flown a camera on one of our satellites uh, from uh, uh, from another university, from uh, Virginia Tech. And, in fact, there's a camera on board, the one that was just launched this last week, that uh, has a little bit better resolution than the first one. So, uh, you know, this is, how, this is how AMSAT cuts its costs and also has an opportunity to advance the state of the art uh, in space and advance the radio art in space. And, of course, measuring radiation uh, tolerance for off-the-shelf components is directly related to communications uh, in space so again here's an opportunity or here's a situation where amateur radio is not just a bunch of hobbyists sitting around talking uh, we're actually contributing to the future of electronics and the future of 
radio communication, uh, not just in the U.S. or North America, but throughout the world. And that's some pretty cool stuff. Yes, it well, is. Keith, we're out of time. <laughs> I it, figured it we would be. By, it flies by so fast. And and we didn't get any calls tonight, so we're gonna keep we're gonna keep the, the prize booth rolling here. We're gonna we're gonna keep trying to give these shirts away. Uh, so next week uh, maybe we'll we'll get some calls and we'll we'll give them away. But uh, I did get a tweet here from I want to mention WI4T said great show tonight. I did not know the history of AO7. So so thanks for wow. uh, for coming up with that and and thanks for uh, tweeting into us tonight. So yeah, it, it, it's just a, it's just a cool story. It just came back from from nowhere yeah yeah well and this and i've said before is that uh satellite operation is just one aspect of a fantastic hobby called amateur radio and if you get tired of doing one thing uh whether you're chasing dx or you're working uh community service or you're into contesting or whatever aspect it is that's your passion within this thing called amateur radio. Uh, eventually, you're going to get tired of maybe doing that. Say, gee, you know, I'd like to try something else. Well, satellite operation is something else that you can try and see if you like it and see if it works and uh, see if it's something that you'd like to do. And that, by the way, while we're, if we have a little bit of time, let me just give our website out again. It's www.amsat.org, A-M-S-A-T.org. And uh, if you're just interested or just getting started, if you click on education when you go up on our website and then click on the submenu, this for beginners. And I have posted up there nine articles which were uh, in our journal, our AMSAT journal from years ago, that talks about how to get started. Uh, and even though some of the satellites that we were referring to at, at the time in the those articles are no longer operating. The, the techniques are the same. So if you have any interest at all and just maybe just want to listen to our satellites, that can be done, believe it or not, with a handheld in your backyard. You don't even need a fancy antenna. You don't need uh, a real powerful transmitter receiver. You can just go out in your backyard with a handheld as soon as you know when the satellite's coming over. And that can be done on our website as well. There's a tracking program built right into it where you just plug in your grid square or your latitude and longitude, and you decide which satellite you want to listen to, and it will print out, give you a whole printout of when that satellite's going to be in range of your station. So you can go out in your backyard and listen to the ISS or the International Space Station or one of our satellites. can all be done on a handheld or any kind of other very low power, if you will, uh, receiver yep sure can and uh, i've started doing this in the last couple of years and and really enjoying it oh i do have one question that just came in here on twitter also from uh, wi4t and it was on my phone so let me pull it up here in front of me is there a good omnidirectional antenna that will not break the bank for base operation Yes, um, there's a set of uh, antennas that are built by M squared. If you want to do commercial 
Uh, they're called egg beaters. And you may have seen these advertised. They look like a big egg beater. But they're an omnidirectional uh, satellite antenna. They're specifically designed for satellite antennas because at the horizon, uh, they are horizontally polarized. But as you, uh, as the satellite comes up and overhead, the circular, they tend to be circularly polarized, which is great for the satellite, for satellite communication because our satellites tend to tumble. But if you, if you don't, you won't really be able to work a satellite right down to the horizon but with an egg beater and i've got a pair in the backyard and i still use them if you've got a fairly high angle pass where the satellite is going to be up above maybe 45 or 50 degrees at your location on from the horizon uh, those satellite antennas will work just fine for that if you really want to do <clears throat> horizon to horizon coverage you're going to have to have something with a little bit more gain uh, another way to do it is with uh, an, an antenna called an Arrow uh, that's built by a gentleman out in uh, in Wyoming uh, at arrowantennas.com, or we also offer them on our AMSAT store. Uh, these are handheld antennas that are made out of arrow shafts, and I've got a couple of them, and they work very, very well. Give you a little bit of gain on the uplink and the downlink, more so than an egg beater, but an egg beater is really designed for permanent type operations so i hope that answers the question okay and we've got another one that came in here real quick so wow we'll, we'll go ahead and get it away we're, we're going overtime here uh we may be in double overtime i don't know but anyway Uh-oh. uh carl kd9 hqt says my dad wb9 ewf has an antenna rotor that was manufactured by yezu which was used for satellite communication which i guess he had for years in the, in the pole barn but uh don't think he ever used it for uh communicating to satellite but that was before you know the new ones the the fox series um is yeah. it is possible that hams can contact satellites with antenna rotors that are designed for satellite work since the design is uh more angled unlike most hams would use a handheld antenna like an elk so how is it different back in the day when satellite was new compared to now if it's it depends on the model uh I know, I, I believe he's talking about a Yesu uh, Azel Azimuth Elevation Rotor Set. Uh, there's been a couple of models of that idea. I think it's called a G5400. The current one is a G5500. Very much uh, the same. I believe earlier models were made by an outfit called Kenpro, which, if I'm not mistaken, Yesu yep. bought. And... Uh, but, yeah, if they're still in operation and is still usable, they would certainly work with, uh, <clears throat> with the satellite. I'm using a pair of those on a MFJ tripod in my backyard. And if you want to see some pictures of what that looks like, uh, you can go up on my personal website, which is KB1SF, my call sign, Kilo Bravo One Sugar Fox, dot com, and just click on Station Photos. And there's a picture of my setup that I use. Um, and that's the nice thing about satellite antennas is you don't need a whole lot of height. Because <laughs> the satellite's at 500 miles and 50 feet is not going to make a difference. So uh, <laughs> we have a lot of people who are restricted or in restricted covenant areas where they can't put up HF antennas. 
but you can certainly do something with uh, with satellites. I have one of our our executive vice president lives in an apartment in downtown Washington D.C. and cannot put anything up at all. But he is absolutely active on the satellites uh, using balcony antennas and one of these arrow type antennas. So uh, anyway, I hope that answers yep, the question. It works. It works, and I know. Uh, down at uh, Kennedy Space Center, they have the egg beaters up on top of the building, and, and they work. Yep, uh, they, they do. Yep. They do yep. well. Yep. Well, All right. what I always say is try and use what you got. Yep, and I, I've I've still <laughs> I've got an arrow, but I still almost always am just using the whip on the car. Yeah. Yep. Now, yeah. I only do, you know, I can only do AO 91, 92, and I'll be able to do 95, I assume. Uh, yes. 85 on the right day. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a start. And, um, yes. And that's what, I, what, and that's what I use. I use it while I'm driving because I'm driving all the time. And so I can yeah. get on and catch a few passes. Isn't that so. slick driving down the road talking through a satellite? Yeah. Yeah craziest thing well you'd never think that but you'd be driving down the interstate and you're on a satellite yeah yeah absolutely it works such is our such is our hobby yep well keith thanks so much for coming on i i hate to end this but it's it's past time so we're going to end it there but maybe we'll uh, we'll get you back on the show and and we'll just kind of advertise here too uh drew glassbrenner ko4ma the vice president of ops will be here on december 27th and we're going to talk about uh some courtesy and and making the most out of your your satellite pass and, and trying to be uh an efficient operator and use it to the to the best possible scenario so that's uh coming up on december 27th so we'll have some more amsat folks on soon you'll enjoy listening and talking with with drew he's quite the character yeah we enjoyed having him on and uh and jerry and also the uh the heiress folks and uh just uh real glad to have you all on and, and thank you for tonight and uh and we'll have you back on soon. absolutely my pleasure All right. Well, that is a wrap for this week's edition of Ham Talk Live. Thanks to Keith Baker, KB1SF, and everybody out there in cyberspace for listening and typing in tonight. And uh, we're going to have to get you calling. We're going to give away these T-shirts. we got to get you calling in. Well, we're going to invite you back next Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Steve Narducci, W9SN, and Fred Denon, WW4LL, will be here to talk about the Be Loud contest station that's uh, in Maine. So we'll be talking contesting next week. Uh, for a list of all of our upcoming guests, be sure to visit hamtalklive.com. And if you like Ham Talk Live, uh, consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. That helps others find us faster. So for now, this is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375. May the good DX be yours. And we're going to send you out with a little imperfect Paul tonight. Deck the halls with boughs of holly. Ha la 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 la. La 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 la. Tis the season to be jolly. 
Fa la 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 la. La 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 la. Don we know our gay apparel. Fa la 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 la. Throw the ancient Yuletide carol. Fa la 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 la. La 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 la. See the blazing you before us. Fa la 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 la. La 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 la. Strike the harp and join the chorus. Fa la 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 la. La 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 la. Follow me in merry measure. Fa la 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 la. While I tell of Yuletide treasure. Fa la 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 la. La 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 la. Fast away the old year passes. Fa la 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 la. La 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 la. Hail the new ye lads and lasses. Fa la 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 la. La 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 la. Sing we joyous all together. Fa la 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 la. Heedless of the wind and weather. Fa la 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 la. La 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 la.